You're listening to a podcast from Gateway Baptist Church, leading people to become fully devoted followers of Jesus. If you'd like to join us or find out more, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au. Hey, we're going to continue our series on David today, looking at the story of David and Goliath. This is a crazy story that has uh, been repeated for over three millennia. It's one of the most well-known stories as well. When I, uh, I got uh, asked to preach, or I actually put myself on the roster and realized, oh, I'm preaching this message, I thought, how can I preach David and Goliath? Everyone's heard the story. Everyone knows the story. It's one of the most, uh, even outside the church, it's one of the most well-known Bible stories, and particularly here in Australia, because it just resonates with the Australian psyche, doesn't it? It's, we love, as Aussies, we love this story of the boy overcoming the giant, the underdog taking down the juggernaut. It's really one of the most relatable stories in the Old Testament for Aussies, because we love cheering on the little guy. You just have to see the success of uh, that movie, The Castle, where Daryl Kerrigan took on the might of the federal government and uh, prevented them from knocking his house down to build a new runway. We love this story. But at its heart, at its core, this story asks the simple question, who or what do you depend on? Who or what do you depend on? See, warfare in the Old Testament was vicious and bloody. Modern warfare is conducted with distance. Missiles and drones are shot well away from their targets. Tanks and machine guns are designed to shoot over at least some sort of distance. But ancient warfare was conducted right up close. Man on man, hand to hand combat, brutal stuff. Hollywood has tried to give us an interpretation of what ancient warfare has looked like over the years with movies like Braveheart, Gladiator, even 300. But no movie can really capture the brutality and horror of ancient combat. Enemies came together and fought in close quarters. And in that battle, who would you depend on? Would you depend on your own skill and your own experience? How would you put your hope in your, your own reflexes and your, your wartime stories? The, the scars would show how experienced you were. Because as you fought riding close with swords and shields, you were going to get cut. It was just a matter of whether you could cut deeper. There's no doubt that if you were fortunate enough to survive and walk off the battlefield, you would be covered in blood covered in your own blood, covered in the blood of your enemies. You'd be washing it off for weeks. Or maybe you depended on your armor. Many of the warriors wouldn't actually wear much under their armor, for they knew that if a piece of clothing entered their, their arm or their leg, it would likely get infected and they would likely lose that arm, that leg, or their life. The armor was often all there was between you and the opposition when you were fighting in close. Or maybe you would depend on your fellow warrior in the shield wall. You know, the shield wall was not for the faint-hearted, that first line of the army. And you had to trust that soldier standing right beside of you. You needed to depend on them. For if they lost their courage, turned around and fled, it would open up a gap in the shield wall, you would become the focus of the enemy's attack as they attempted to break through that wall 
and get in and slaughter the rest of the army. Warfare in ancient time was brutal. Isn't that an uplifting start to a message? That this is the background to the, the scene that we find ourselves in as we open up God's word today. We're going to sit in 1 Samuel 17. So if you've got your Bible along with you today, I want to encourage you to open up 1 Samuel chapter 17. Just leave it open. We're going to be stuck in there for most of our time together. The God's people, the Israelites, were at war again with the Philistine army. In this era, the Philistines and the Israelites were constantly at war. They were fighting over land, and really they were fighting over whose God was stronger. Let's jump into the story. On this occasion, the Philistines, I'm going to mix it up. I'm going to say the Philistines, Philistines, you know what I'm talking about. The Philistines this time gathered their forces for war and assembled at Sokor in Judah. They pitched camp at Ephes Damim between Sokor and Azekar. Saul and the Israelites assembled and camped in the valley of Elah and drew up their battle line to meet the Philistines. And the Philistines occupied one hill and the Israelites another with a valley between them. A champion named Goliath, who was from Gath, came out of the Philistine camp. His height was six cubits and a span. It's just under three meters, nine feet, nine inches in the old scale. He was a giant of a man. And he had a bronze helmet on his head, and he wore a coat of scale armor of bronze wearing, uh, weighing 5,000 shekels. That's 58 kilograms. On his legs were bronze greaves, and a bronze javelin was slung on his back. His spear shaft was like a weaver's rod, and its iron point weighed 600 shekels, which is seven kilograms. Goliath is an incredibly imposing figure. He's taller than anyone that the Israelites had seen in their lives before. He's strong enough to be just wandering around casually with 60 kilograms of armor. And he's got this gigantic spear with a seven kilogram pointed tip on it. Goliath could have stood in the second line of the army behind those on the shield wall. He could have just stood with his, uh, his um, spear and crushed his enemy, just reached over the shield wall from relatives safely and just been crushing his enemies day after day. And he would have struck fear into all, or at least most, of who he came up against. And here he challenges the Israelites directly. Goliath stood and shouted to the ranks of Israel, why do you come out and line up for battle? Am I not a Philistine and are you not the servants of Saul? Choose a man and have him come down to me. If he's able to fight me and kill me, we will become your subjects. But if I overcome him and kill him, you will become our subjects and serve us. Then the Philistines said, this day I defy the armies of Israel. And effectively he's saying, I defy your weak God as well. Give me a man and let us fight each other. On hearing the Philistines' words, Saul and all the Israelites were dismayed and terrified. For 40 days, Goliath, this giant of a man, appeared every morning and every evening to come and taunt the Israelites. And it left them dismayed and terrified. See, when you, walk, when you see a giant walk into the valley in front of you and challenge 
your army. You naturally look for your tallest guy. You look for the giant on your side who can take on the challenger. And you know who that was in the Israelite army? It was actually Saul, the king. The prophet Samuel tells us that Saul was a head taller than anyone else in Israel. Not as big as Goliath, but bigger than the other Israelites. He was Israel's giant. And so the army placed their hope in their king. And they expected their king to be the one who would come out and challenge Goliath. And here is where this story and our story begin to intersect. Because here's something that's true of you and of I, that we place our hope in what we depend on. It's just what we do. We place our hope in what we depend on, and we place our hope in who we depend on. To give you a really simple example of this, if, uh, if there's a task at our house that needs doing and can be done by one of my young kids, I put my hope in Saxon. He's reliable, he's dependable, he's also the eldest, and if I need one of the kids to do something, I'm putting my hope in him because he is dependable. I can depend, I can rely on him to get it done. My daughter Zaylee will say, yeah, sure, Dad, and then she'll go and get distracted by something more fun. My six-year-old, Quinn, will just go and refuse to do it. Maybe when they're both a little older, they'll be a bit more dependable. Please, Jesus. But right now, I'm asking Saxon. Maybe it's something about firstborns, but I'm putting my hope in him for those tasks that can be done. See, where we place our hope, so we place our hope in who we depend on. It's human nature. And here, the Israelite. The army had placed their hope in King Saul. God's original plan was actually for the, uh, the Israelites to not have a king, to trust wholly in God instead. But the people of Israel had been demanding, they'd been clamoring for an earthly king so that they could be like the other nations. So God gave them what they wanted. But in this moment, Saul was conspicuous in his absence. He stayed hiding in his royal tent. And in fact, Saul had a bit of a track record of this. Even when the, the, the prophet Samuel was determining who Israel's first king should be, the Lord was helping Samuel discern who that would be. And he came to, to Kish and said, okay, his son Saul is going to be the king. Where is he? Samuel said, where is Saul? And the Lord said to him that Saul had hidden himself among the supplies. And here on the battlefield, Saul had again hidden himself within his tent. So as Goliath stood and shouted at the Israelites every morning and every evening, Saul's credibility just slipped away each day, as each day passed with no response. And as his credibility faded, his army's hope died. They depended on their king. Their hope was in their king. But he was proving to be unreliable. Saul had let them down. And as a result, they were dismayed. They were terrified. And they were paralyzed by fear. Well, let's jump down to verse 17. Continue reading the story. Now, Jesse said to his son, David. And remember from last week, David was a young shepherd boy. He was the youngest of eight boys. Jesse says to his son, take this bag of roasted grain and these 10 loaves of bread for your brothers, because David had three brothers fighting in the army, and hurry to their camp. 
Take along these 10 cheeses for the commander of their unit. See how your brothers are and bring back some assurance or bring back some spoils of war from them. So Jesse's saying, go to your brothers fighting in the war, encourage them with this food, and then return and encourage me that they're winning by bringing back some of the plunder. So like a good lad, David follows his dad's instructions. He leaves the sheep in the care of another shepherd and he heads into the battlefield. And once he's there, he goes immediately to check in on his brothers, see how they're doing. And just as he's chatting with them, Goliath comes out once again and taunts the Israelites, just as he's been doing for almost six weeks. And David seems to be incensed. It says here, David asked the men standing near him, what will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and removes this disgrace from Israel? Who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should defy the armies of the living God? David doesn't just bring bread and cheese. He brings one of history's best ever put downs. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine? Now, if you're ever in trouble at school, you can just pull that one out. And sell that to the bullies. It's going down really well for you, I'm sure. But most importantly, David brings hope. He hasn't had to put up with this, this, uh, this dismay and this terror that the army has experienced. David brings hope in the right person. He knows who he depends on. David asks, who's this disgrace that would defy the armies of the living God? David's got the right perspective here. He depends on the hope that God himself offers. He knows that his God can take down the enemy. He knows that his God can take down any enemy. And he's not afraid to tell his brothers and his other soldiers, anyone who will listen about his hope. And I think this moment really speaks to our human condition. We can be just like the Israelite army. We get worn down by life and the relentlessness of life. Morning comes and then evening comes and the day starts again. We're slaving away, working at our career. We're struggling through the challenges of family life. We're having to deal with our parents or even our own declining health let alone the, un, uh, the economic uncertainty and the global unrest and the worries of the future. If we listen to the negative voices that are around us, if we give in to the fear of others, just like the Israelite army, we can begin to doubt. We begin to get dismayed. We can even start to forget that God is on our side. We need to be continually reminded of the hope that we have in our living God. That's why being part of a, a church service, being regularly coming along to our services, committing to be part of a community and life group and connecting with other believers is so important. We need to spur one another on in the hope that we have in our living God. We need to encourage one another not to lose sight of God's hope. A little bit later, I'm also going to give us something else to remind us to not lose sight of God. We'll come to that in a moment. So eventually, King Saul hears about David. David's been telling everyone who will listen that we have a living God who can help us take out Goliath. And so he calls David into his presence. We're gonna pick the story up in verse 32. David said to Saul, let no one lose heart on account of this Philistine. Your servant, I will go and fight him. 
Saul replied, you are not able to go out against this Philistine and fight him. You are only a young man and he's been a warrior from his youth. But David said to Saul, your servant has been keeping his father's sheep. When a lion or a bear came and carried off a sheep from the flock, I went after it. I struck it and rescued the sheep from its mouth. When it turned on me, I seized it by its hair, struck it and killed it. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear. And this uncircumcised Philistine, there it is again, will be like one of them because he has defied the armies of the living God. The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear will rescue me from the hand of this Philistine. So after 40 days of no one standing up to Goliath, after 40 days of the army looking at King Saul and him greatly disappointing the entire camp, this young shepherd boy comes along and says, I'll, I'll take him, I'll fight him. God is on our side. God will win this battle for us. Now, we, we could accuse David here of a, a little bit of youthful naivety, maybe even arrogance. How could a shepherd boy take down a giant? He's just a boy. He's never fought in war before. But there's something else going on in this story. See, David has seen God move powerfully in his life in the past. And he's got great faith that God will do it again. See, most shepherds, when a wild animal came to attack the sheep, would prioritize the safety of the flock. They'd let the lion or the wolf or the bear take that sacrificial lamb so that they could protect the rest of the herd. But David wasn't like that kind of shepherd. David would chase down in God's strength. He'd chase down that lion and that bear and he'd kill it, would res rescue the sheep and return it to the flock. And God had helped him with this in the past. And David knew that God could be relied upon. He could depend on the hope that God gave him because of what God had done before. Just like David, when we face our own giants, our own challenges, we can depend on God's hope because of what he's done before. Maybe you've seen God move in might and in power in your own life. You can rely on that. You can rely on what God has done before. Perhaps you've heard other stories, other testimonies of what God has done in their life. You can rely on what God has done before. Or maybe you just simply read God's word and accept it as truth. And you can rely on God's faithfulness because you know that he has done it before. And he will do it again. Yet it's always tempting to turn from God's hope and to go back to trusting ourselves as we keep reading, we see a little bit of that temptation here for David. Sadly, Saul doesn't have the same faith in God that David does. And so he unwittingly begins to tempt David to turn away from his dependence on God and on to what Saul has depended on in the past. Now watch what Saul does here. He says, Saul dressed David in his own tunic. He put a coat of armor on him and a bronze helmet on his head. David fastened on the sword over his tunic and tried walking around because he was not used to them. I cannot go in these, he said to Saul, because I'm not used to them. So he took them off. And then he took his staff in his hand. He chose five smooth stones from the stream, put them in the pouch of his shepherd's bag, and with his sling in hand, approached the Philistine. Saul wanted David to put his hope in what he knew. Put his trust in the armor 
and the sword, what had worked for Saul, what had saved Saul in the past. And it's so easy, I think, at times to allow our hope in God to drift. Not because God changes, but because we do. We might start out trusting God and, and believing in him, depending on him, but then, and then, but then the enemy wants us to begin doubting it, questioning it. The enemy wants us to, to be distracted by his lies. You've got this. You don't really need God's help with it. Or just throw money at the problem. That's worked in the past. Or maybe just like in the Garden of Eden, the enemy says, did God really tell you to do it that way? I wonder in this moment whether David started to think about that. As Saul's putting the armor on him and affixing the, the, the clasps behind the back and trying to get the sword in his hand, does David start to put his trust in those things, thinking that these are the things that will help me and will save me? Does it tempt him to start taking his focus off of God? We're not sure. We don't find out. But what we do know is that David shakes loose that armor. And instead, he depends on what God has done before. He trusts God's faithfulness because God has been faithful in this way before. He takes up the things that he knows, takes up his staff. He picks up some stones from the stream and he prepares his sling. And then he advances toward Goliath. We keep reading. Goliath looked David over and saw that he was little more than a boy, glowing with health and handsome, and he despised him. He said to David, am I a dog that you come after me with sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. Come here, he said, and I'll give your flesh to the birds and the wild animals. Goliath is incredulous that of all the army of Israel, that after 40 full days of taunts and challenge, that the response would be a boy sent out to do a man's job. He's a kid, probably only 15 years of age, doesn't even have his learner's permit, couldn't even drive himself out to the battlefield. He's probably got hardly any facial hair. He's trying to grow up, but he just can't. Is this the best you can do, Israel? Screams Goliath. Is this all you've got? If this is all you've got, if your best is a boy, how weak must your God be as well? He starts to rain down further insults in the name of his gods. But listen to David's response. He is full of faith in the living God. He is fully dependent on the hope that he has in the Almighty. David said to the Philistine, you come against me with sword and spear and javelin, but I come against you in the name of the Lord Almighty, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defiled. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hands, and I'll strike you down and cut off your head. This very day I'll give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals, and the whole world will know that there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know that it is not by sword or spear that the Lord saves, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you all. He will give all of you into our hands. Can you see and hear the faith in David's voice? It's a stirring speech. I reckon it's more powerful than Mel Gibson's uh, speech in Gladiator, uh, in uh, Braveheart. Get my movies mixed up. Can you hear his amazing faith? 
You've got a sword and a spear, Goliath. Well, I don't care because I've got the living God on my side. I'm claiming this battle for my God. He's the one who's going to give us the victory. And it'll be your nation who'll surrender. It's spine-tingling stuff here. David might be small, but his God is all-powerful. And David's hope is completely in him. He doesn't need armor. He doesn't need a sword or a spear. The battle is the Lord's. Now, if you were here last week, you might have been a witness to this. But Jason poured water all over me as part of an illustration, not just in one service, but all three services through the day. I went through so many changes of shirts and pants. And so I invited him today and said, Jace, do you want to come back and you can be my Goliath as I act this story out? And he said, no, nah, Tim, I'm preaching at another, another campus. But you don't really need me to act it out. Do you know what happens next? David pulls one of the stones out of his bag. He loads up his sling. He flings it around his head a few times to get some momentum, and then he lets it rip. And the stone hurtles through the air and lands with a huge thud right in the middle of Goliath's forehead. And if he's not killed instantly, then at least he's knocked out, and he falls like a lopped tree onto the valley floor. David rushes over and uses his own sword, Goliath's sword, to finish him off, and then just to make sure, cuts off his head. Told you it's pretty gruesome, right? No wonder Jace didn't want to volunteer for that. But the Philistines see their hero dead and they turn and run. The Israelite army shout with a mixture of amazement, of joy and of repressed anger and they chase after the Philistines, mowing them down as they scamper back to their home cities, chasing them down, declaring God has the victory the whole way. For David... He depended on God's hope and the giant fell. And David continued to depend on God's hope through the rest of his military career. David went on to become king and he actually led his country in the greatest era of conquest and expansion that they had ever known. God had promised them the land and David in his faith and dependence on God fulfilled the prophecy to expand the nation of Israel, to claim the promised land and to, to, to communicate to all of the clans, nations, and tribes around that the God of Israel was the one true God. And the beautiful thing is we don't just have the historical stories to tell us what happened. We actually have the Psalms, these Psalms, these songs that David wrote that give us insight into his emotion, into his motivations, and into his heart. Listen to David's heart in Psalm 108. He's crying out to God as he uh, joins yet another battle. And he prays to God. He says, give us aid against the enemy, for human help is worthless. With God, we will gain the victory, and he will trample down our enemies. With God, we will gain the victory. See, David knew this truth, that when we depend on God's hope, we will overcome giants. When we depend on God's hope, we will overcome giants because God is on our side. He has the victory. And throughout his life, David depended on God's hope time and time again. 
and God helped him overcome giants. He experienced God's victory. It wasn't always the same way. It wasn't always uh, going, knocking the giants down. Sometimes it was going around the giants. Sometimes it was through those enemies. But God always had the victory. And we might not see our prayers answered in the ways that we expect. God might surprise us through the way that he gives us these victories. But when we depend on God's hope, we will overcome giants in God's power. So over the next millennium, for the nation of Israel, unfortunately, their heart for God waxed and waned. They didn't depend on God's hope as faithfully as David did. The nation of Israel turned from God, and their enemies wore them down. The nation was overcome. Many of its people were taken off into captivity, and they lost their way. And sure, there were revivals from time to time, but Israel never again lived in the glory days like those that David had experienced. Until a thousand years later, after David's death, one of his descendants, a man by the name Joseph, was pledged to be married to a young woman named Mary, someone who had mysteriously become pregnant. And as we remember and celebrate next month, Jesus Christ, God's own son, came into the world through this woman, Mary. Jesus was born as a baby, but he grew up to become a man, a man who also placed his hope on God, a man who fully depended on him, and a man who took on two of the biggest giants that we will ever face. Jesus took on the giants of sin and death. And you know what? He conquered them. See, Jesus was arrested by the authorities who were threatened by him. He was falsely tried and executed on a cross like a common criminal. But this is all part of God's design. Jesus had led a perfect, sinless life. And so on that cross, he took on the sins of humanity. All the mistakes that you and I have committed, all the missteps that we've made along the way, our sins were placed on Christ's shoulders as he hung there on the cross. And as he hung there, Jesus stared down the giants of sin and death. For a moment, it looked like death had won. The Gospels tell us that around three o'clock in the afternoon, the skies went black, the ground shook, and Jesus breathed his last. But that would not be the end. They laid his body in a tomb and rolled a giant stone across the entrance. And then on the third day, when the women went down to anoint his body, as was their custom, the stone had been rolled away. Jesus' body could not be found because he had risen. He'd faced down the giants of sin and death. And with complete trust and dependence in God's hope, Jesus overcame both of them. The apostle Paul declares, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, but thanks be to God. He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus has taken down the giants of sin and death. And because of his victory, we can live with confidence and courage when we face giants of any kind. See, Jesus will overcome our giants when we depend on the hope that we have in Christ. I want to ask you a simple question 
as we conclude this morning. It's the question that we started with. Who do you depend on when you face your giants? Who do you depend on when you face your giants? When those giants come against you, when they try to rob you of your peace and your joy, when they try to terrify and dismay you, who do you depend on? Maybe it's the giant of fear. It stands in front of you, paralyzing you, preventing you from taking that step of faith. Now, we've given you some uh, date claimers for our carol services, our Christmas services. The next few weeks, we're going to start giving some invitations for you to give those to give to those that you work with, those that you live with, those in your family. What giant of fear comes against you when you seek to give someone one of those invitations? Or maybe it's a giant of doubt and it shakes you with its condemning voice. No, it just creates uncertainty about the next step to take or the next big decision that you need to make. Or perhaps it's the giant of worry. The giant yells at you and you are overcome with anxiety because of all the variables that are outside of your control. Who do you depend on when you face those giants? Do you try to avoid them? Do you run and hide like Saul did? Just ignore them and hope that they'll eventually go away? Or do you try and do it all on your own strength? Put on the armor, take a deep breath, and step out to face the giants all on your own? Or do you place your trust in the living God who overcomes all things? David's story encourages us to depend on the hope that God offers us. And Jesus went to the cross to make a way for us to be able to continue to hold on to that hope. Jesus' victory doesn't mean that we'll never face obstacles or that we'll never have to go through suffering, but it does mean that whenever we come up against loss or pain, fear or doubt, whatever struggle or giant we might face, God's resurrection power helps us overcome it. We simply need to depend on his hope. Be filled with his faith and be equipped with his courage. But I reckon this is our challenge. We so easily forget in the moment. All the time, every day, we rush in to battle. We forget to put our trust in him. When a giant shouts at us, when a challenge rears its angry head, so often we just run in to face these giants on our own. When the kids are fighting, when the boss demands something, when a conversation leads to an opportunity, we often run off or rush in. We forget to pause and remember and depend on God. And today, today I want to challenge us to pause, to breathe, to do something that will remind us to remember that He is with us, to stop and put our trust in Him. Today, I want to give you something really small and simple to take with you to remind you that He's with you, to remind you that He can be trusted, to remind you to depend on Him. Just before he went out to conquer Goliath, David reached down 
in a local stream and picked up five stones. I'm sure they were bigger than this. This isn't going to hurt a fly. He only needed one. He put the rest in his bag. He put it effectively in his pocket. And so today I want to encourage you in a moment to come forward and just take one of these stones. Don't, please don't throw it at someone. <laughs> but I just want to encourage you to put it in your pocket all week. Put it in your purse all week. And when you do face a giant and that conversation at work, that feeling rising up within you, those thoughts in your head again, I just want you to pause. Just hold on to that stone in your pocket. Pick it up out of your purse and allow God to remind you of his presence within you. Put your trust in him. Ask him to lead you, to guide you, to overcome for you. There's no power in this stone. All the power is in our almighty God, the one who goes out before you, the one who has already won the battle. This stone is simply to remind us of his power, remind us of his presence, remind us of his victory. Why don't you, if you're able to join with us, why don't you stand right now? In a moment, we're gonna sing a song, a song that's a prayer to the same God that David trusted in, a prayer that asks for his victory in our lives now. And as we sing that song together, I'm gonna invite you to come forward. Come to one of the bowls stretched out across the front of the stage here. And just to pick up one of these stones. Put it in your pocket, put it in your purse. And this week, allow it to remind you of God's presence and His power. To help you to depend on His hope. Our prayer team are gonna be down the front here as well. I invite the prayer team, the pastoral team, just to come and stand down the front. If you would like somebody to stand with you this morning, to be in that shield wall together with you. Just stay with them and they would love to pray for you this morning. If you're joining with us online, I can't put one of these through the screen for you, but you can head out to your garden, pick one up, or maybe you can just mention the giants that you're facing in the chat. There's a team who would love to pray with you and for you right now. So why don't we sing this song, this prayer, that reminds us that we follow the same God. We can put our hope and our trust in our living God who promises to give us the victory, who promises to overcome in His power. As we sing, why don't you come down the front, pick up one of these stones. I'm calling on the God of Jacob love endures through generations I know that you will keep your covenant I'm calling on the God of Moses the one who opened up the ocean I need you now to do the same
your children then you hear your children now you are the same god you are the same god you answered prayers back then and you will answer now you are the same god you are the same god you were providing then you are providing now you are the same you're the same whatever we face this week, would you remind us of your presence? Would you remind us of your power? And would you remind us of your victory? Lord, help us not to lose heart. Help us to not run away from our giants, but instead to stand in faith, trusting that you will help us to overcome. God, as we have this stone in our pocket and our purse this week, Lord, would you remind us of your faithfulness? Would you remind us of your strength? And would you give us the victory? We ask these things in the almighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Hey, thanks so much for joining us here today. It's been a real blessing to be with you. If you missed out on getting prayer, our prayer team, you're gonna stay down here for a little while, I encourage you to, uh, to come and receive that or join online as well. But God bless you this week. Be reminded of God's presence. Walk in His victory. Have a good one and we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you. We hope that you've been blessed by this message. We're a growing family and if you'd like to discover more about where we meet in all our locations and online, visit gatewaybaptist.com.au.